It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It's episode number 383, uh, wherein we will talk a lot of things uh, Corona, uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Also, later on in this episode, I will be joined uh, at first by Andrew. Hello, welcome, Andrew. Hey, welcome. Uh, later, I'll be joined by Allison Belknap, who used to be the uh, assistant dean uh, at BYU. She came out as a lesbian and left BYU. She was the one that was quoted in last week's news um, by calling the honor code changes at BYU a, quote, dumpster fire. So we talked with her for quite a bit. And then we round out this episode with an articles of news uh, where we talk to uh, Nate Eaton, who is from the uh, East Idaho News. He is going to be talking about everything Chad and Lori Daybell I got right with him. He's been uh, probably one of the most, if not the most, talked about reporters within that case, giving us all the up-to-date information and then what we're sort of waiting for. But joining me first, you've everybody put your hands together. It's Mr. Andrew Mayer. Hello, sir. Howdy. Welcome. I'm glad. Welcome to me back. Welcome well, to me back. Welcome to me. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I almost want to call you Mr. Mayer which I recognize is not really a nickname, but is in just, in fact, your name. But I like... It's fine. It sounds, I like Mr. Mayor. It sounds like... But making it sound more like mayor. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. A, a clever play on words. Yep. That's... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, because that's my name. And it's not terribly clever. So I want to start here. So I, I wanted to start this episode out like this, with this song. But I decided, well, people, p- people may need this setup a little bit, so I'm, g- I'm going to play how I wanted to start this episode. So uh, I don't know if you could hear that or not, Andrew. So it was, uh, everyone has been talking about, in fact, I even tweeted at uh, Weird Al about doing a My Corona parody of My Sharona. Now, I recognize that the world is basically on shutdown, and so people will be like, that's awfully insensitive. Why would you do something like that, Richie? I can't believe that you would do it. Here's the deal. I found that as I went searching for it. And the guy who wrote it, and not the actual original song, but the parody song, uh, he is a medical doctor. And so if you look up My Corona, the parody version of My Sharona, a, quote, viral song, his words, not mine, uh, it actually gives you a lot of great information about where the disease started, how we can uh, prevent it can, from continuing to spread, uh, but also, you know, it it finally gives you that uh, that my Corona, you know, parody song that you've been looking for. So, so where, where let me ask you this: Where do you feel like when we cross the line? Do you think about um, being insensitive towards right. what's going on sure. and creating a lightness and a humor and and understanding? Hey, this is accepted because I I think I push that line often. I think I've done it on Facebook several times 
recently. Sure. I, I lean towards making fun of it is better than not. Well, getting taking it as long as I'm still taking it seriously, um, I think it's okay to make fun of things. Well, so here's the thing. Like, uh, how would you how would you feel if like your spouse can contracted Corona? And then, you know, maybe it, you know, how would you feel then? If, yeah, I'm not the if, best one to if, ask, if, probably. If, <laughs> because if, I I live in the, I like silly comedy. Sure. And I think I get through hard things. Yeah, that's, a, I mean. With that comedy. That's certainly how I deal. So let me not preach as far as that goes. But I, I you know, I, I think it's a valuable question. I think it's worth uh, discussing. Um, for me, I, you know, the way I deal with it a lot is through humor. Um, I have posted also recently some things and, and I, but I, but so to counter that, like, I think if you're being like, if you're Andrew, you're going to the gym and you're touching every single machine and then you're licking your hands and doing a I Facebook agree. live video like that to me is like, Oh, he was just being funny. Yeah. Funny, but also being a jerk. Right. Not just being a jerk. That's actually dangerous. Yeah. yeah so there's, yeah. there's a difference between saying and silly being silly and then doing, and so I, I agree with that. But I think I, I usually try to le lean on if someone is upset by something I say. Mm -hmm. First of all, I, I try not to go too far, but sure. when I do, I think I try to be a little compassionate. Sure. As long as they they're compassionate back, and I apologize. I think I I can apologize quickly because everyone deals differently with all this, and I think that's an interesting world, and we're dealing with right now this. Some people are, are very anxious about this. Sure. Some people are all on this on the side of, oh, we, this is just a bunch of hype and crap and everything else. And I'm, I lean somewhere in between depending on my mood. Right. And so um, I think it's be it's good to be sensitive to everyone, and I'm okay with that. Right. Well, so so for me, I kind of go through bouts of like the things that have been hard for me is. I was supposed to go out of town today and actually be at a conference for the next few days. And so essentially my work slate is fairly light. And so I am one who gets pretty restless pretty quick. And then with the restless mind, I find myself going, oh, now what? Oh, eh, you know, and then following the news or going down that rabbit hole of what would it be like if they called? Uh, I can't remember what it's. I'd have to look it up. It's like the Atwood Doctrine or something like that, which essentially right. means that the uh, president of the United States can be like, everyone stay in no matter what. And then I go, oh, do I have enough food? Do I blah, 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 right? So, so that has been uh, a little bit for me. And then also just like, um, just like uh, be, kind of being home a lot. It seems like I've been home a lot the last few days. And, mm. and, and that it has been super rewarding in some ways. Got a lot of stuff done at my house. My garden is ready for when that planting season uh, is ready to occur. Great harvest coming up yeah, for the yeah. Stedmans, right? Yeah, see? Um, but, like, pr pretty quick you start to be like, okay, yeah, no, there's a reason why I've always put these things off. It's because I don't want to do them. I'm, I'm in the same way. I travel mostly for a living, so I spend, when I am home, I, like, try to cram into three days or two days or whatever I have home, like, all this work. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm not as regimented in my day to day. Yeah. So I find myself feast or famining everything. Like I'm either working really hard and then all of a sudden I like have like three hours where I'm like I'm not exactly sure what to do because <laughs> I haven't relearned because I used to do this, but I haven't relearned how to like set my time schedule and time manage, you know, time management skills 
um, and actually regiment myself a little bit. So I'm going to have to relearn that. And then as soon as I get it back down, I'll be on the road again. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's just, <laughs> it's for your betterment. Um, how, did you do uh, sacrament at home today? Yeah. You yeah, did? We, so blessed, blessed it, dressed up, did the whole thing? Dressed up, blessed, blessed it, um, put on a suit and tie because obviously you've got to put on a suit and tie. Yeah, that's what they asked. Sacrament. They asked those who are blessing the sacrament to dress in shirt and tie or the respectful regular attire that you would do so it was just me my wife and uh a friend of mine and uh my my friend his name's james um it's been it's a tough week for him um his wife passed away friday so oh we my had gosh him over at our house oh my gosh and so um yeah so his he's he's an older gentleman in fact if you if you want to go back to my blog post from last year you can actually see him he's the picture i use oh, <laughs> when cool. i talk about so my blog post from last year, maybe we'll post that for this episode. Yeah, you can get that at theculturehall.com. I'll grab that picture. We'll make that the picture for this episode. Yeah, so he's he's been a really good friend of mine. He's a convert to the church. He, he joined about three years ago, and we've just become really good friends, even though he's quite a bit older than me and everything else. Anyway, his wife passed away Friday, and so he's going through that. So we had him over as part of our home church, and it was a, it was a really sweet experience, and him and I blessed the sacrament and it was, it was really cool. Did it feel a little weird? It did. I mean, I got out the sheet and did everything to make it as nice as we could. We sang a hymn and, 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 you know, listened to my state president did a, a Facebook live kind of devotional. Cool. Um, and then um, we listened to the president Nelson's YouTube video from last night mm -hmm. kind of optimistic saying, Hey, we're going to get through this. Everything's coming. Look, look forward to general conference. Take this time to, you know, to, to hear him, which is what they're, they're kind of promoting right now. And, um, and then we, um, then I, we gave up, we had a little come follow me session. It was really just kind of a, a discussion on the gospel. And, and then we closed it. It was a, it was a sweet little meeting. Yeah. It was, it was nice. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was really uplifting. And I thought, I thought, you know, Obviously, I want to go back to the normal way, but if this is how it is for a while, we get a lot of value in different ways than we're used to. A very intimate conversation that we wouldn't normally have um, because of because of this. And we're going to be inviting other neighbors over. Not too many. Come weeks. on, that's not that's the, no, that's no. the whole point. That's the whole <laughs> point. But but you know you know two or three neighbors you know um, who are healthy. Obviously, we're going to be. You're going to be testing um, them at the door? Yeah, we're going to, you're going to have to be checked for coronavirus as you're walking. No, I mean, we're going to be watching that. But the, our bishop has asked us to still try to provide the sacrament to everyone mm. weekly, even though the, the church has said at least monthly. Yeah. In our, in our area, try to do weekly. And, and then the goal then would probably be like two times a month for everyone. And so we're building our ministering efforts to yeah. accomplish that. Yeah. I'll just quickly do this, but I shared this on a, a Facebook live video early. Uh, I had the opportunity, you know, I have some folks that I minister to who are pretty active and others that I don't. And uh, after having a really positive interaction with someone who is active, I decided, you know what, I'm going to text the, this, these people that I know don't go to church. I've never been in the whole time that I've been in the ward uh, and just let them know that, uh, that they're being cared for. And I sent them a message and they were like, oh, yeah, no, we're good. Thanks. And then, you know, three, four hours later, um, they sent me a message. It was like, hey, you know what? We just want to say we really appreciate um, that you would reach out and, and make sure that our needs are being met and that, and that we're okay. 
not a big thing. Uh, didn't take a, a tremendous amount of courage. It was just my fingers, you know, tapping it out on a on a text message. But you know, a pretty remarkable thing uh, to be able to do, and and just encourage everyone, whether they're a member of the church or not, whether you're ministering family or not, maybe they're a neighbor or just you know, there's someone that you maybe look at at the street. Don't go to their house. That's the best part. <laughs> but you could reach out. In, intro, introverts unite. Out. That's the best part. We don't have to go to their house. I think I that that's your joke. I think I just stole. That that's definitely something I've been saying a lot. I oh I think I said it on your Facebook Live this yeah. morning. But yeah. but an opportunity for people to really reach out and to let people know, hey, you matter, you make a difference. How can I help you? And then also the call to, hey, if if you need help, it does you literally yes. and figuratively no good not to ask for help. You know, I'm not a big proponent of Things happen to teach us a reason. A TT, I'm, I'm sure that does occur sometimes. Sure. But coronavirus didn't, didn't happen to teach us to minister better. Right. However, I do believe because the corona, coronavirus has, has come and we're in this situation, the Lord can bless us in ways to learn to minister to all. And I think it's interesting that ministering to all is kind of the focus of the last few years. way we do missionary work is changing towards more of a ministering share what's in your heart kind of idea the um, idea of ministering itself even family history is being talked about as all one work and we're ministering to all and and all of a sudden we have this opportunity to support and strengthen each other in ways that we we never have in years and in my lifetime probably my parents lifetime and it's it's a very probably short window maybe large window we don't know but we have this window to teach us new skills in interacting with each other. And I think it's a, a an interesting opportunity. We'll see how it all come, comes out, though. You mentioned uh, a little bit of the uh, the prophet speaking. There was a three-minute video that was released via YouTube. It's President Nelson sharing the message of hope during the coronavirus outbreak. That's what it's titled. It's trending on YouTube right now. And I want to play just a small little bit of it, um, just and then just encourage you to go and watch the whole thing. It's three minutes and eight seconds. I'm going to play about 45 seconds of it. But this is President uh, Russell M. Nelson. Pass in due time. I remain optimistic for the future. I know the great and marvelous blessings that God has in store for those who love him and serve him. I see evidence of his hand in this holy work in so many ways. So during these uncertain times, be comforted by this promise from the Savior. He said, quote, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, close quote. I promise you that joy is always within the reach of everyone who will hear him and obey his laws. Brothers and sisters, please take good care of yourselves and your loved ones and look for opportunities to help those around you, near and far. We have the great privilege of ministering to our neighbors wherever they live. Temporary changes in our normal routine may allow additional time to experience how precious home-centered gospel study can be. So he talks a lot about... Uh you know, just that there's there's faith and that the Lord is bound in uh, in what we're 
you know, when we do what he says. And uh, I think that's a tremendous lesson. That, again, is from YouTube. You can get the whole video uh, if you go to YouTube.com. And then you search. I like how he gives the quotes there. He, he stops the quote to teach the lesson. The Lord is bound when you do what I say. And then he, he, he's specific to say, close quote. Yep. He doesn't want you to start reading more into what's before and after. He wants to just highlight that portion of it. Now we could have a bigger discussion on what comes before and after. But that's what he's talking about. And he wants to romp. I, I, I like that because it, I think it grounds people. Yeah. I think it's grounding us when in a time we need it, a foundation that we need. Let's take a break and come back and do actual articles of news. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Hey, everybody. Let's talk about Best DJ in Utah for just a minute. So here's the deal. Uh, coronavirus uh, has had an impact on said industry. Like, what do you mean, Richie? Well, literally every single event that I have for the month of March and the month of April, gone. Well, won't that impact your bottom line and your ability to live, Richie? I mean, I mean you know, kind of. So uh, when you're thinking about planning an event later in the year of 2020, won't you please consider bestdjinutah.com? It's simple. You can go there. You just fill out a little bit of information. Let's me know where the event is going to be. And then I provide a quote. I get it right back to you. And then maybe we can party together. Now I do parties. You got the karaoke. We can do that too. Maybe you're making the pilgrimage to Utah and you want to have the big family reunion. I've done that. Maybe you're coming into town for one of those MLM conferences and you want to throw a big party for your team. I've done those as well. Doesn't matter what it is. Even if you just want to hang out with me, you can go to bestdjinutah.com, fill out the information, get a quote, and then maybe we can party together. Consumer alert! Consumer alert! Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. There's an extremely insane computer infection called Zeus Zbot infecting hundreds of thousands of computers across the world. This infection is super malicious because it puts you in danger by recording every keystroke you make into your computer, stealing your confidential information, including your banking passwords. You could be infected and never know until you have all your money sucked out of your bank account. At PC Laptops, we can help. If you think you've been infected or just want to be safe, please bring in your PC no matter what brand it is into any one of our locations right now and we'll scan it for free. Why are we doing this for free? Because we want to impress you so much that if you or any of your friends need a computer, service, or phone repair, you come to PC Laptops first. Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, it's Articles of News, wherein we do actual articles of news. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And here we go. Don't forget, still to come up, we're going to talk with Allison Belknap. Uh, she is the former assistant dean of the law school down at BYU. She left, and uh, she she says that the way that the uh, that BYU or that the church dealt with the honor code changes is a dumpster fire. 
and you can hear her words as she describes that. Also, uh, we talk with Nate Eaton from East Idaho News, who gives us from the very beginning, if you've never heard of Chad and Lori Daybell and their missing kids, he takes us from the very beginning of that case to the very present. And so you can check that out. That's coming up as well. There's just a couple news stories, Andrew. So let's hit it. Which one do you want to go to first? I think I'll start. It's a little sad, actually. This um, young missionary um, in Sierra Leone, um, Elder Antonio Schwenke. I hope I don't get his name wrong. Schwenke was serving in Sierra Leone Freetown Mission, and he developed malaria. And he, um, at age 19, he um, he's from Samoa, apparently, and he passed away this week. And so we want to express our our condolences to his family and and so that's a that's kind of a different news story because you expect coronavirus to come out of there but that that happened this week and so that that's one that yeah and interesting and interesting to note that it's malaria if you listened to um the last episode of the the cultural hall that we posted which was all about heart of africa uh, it's interesting because one of the actors within that um film he in fact uh, can't, comes down with malaria. So even though here in the United States we don't hear altogether that much about malaria, certainly still a, a rampant problem um, on the continent of Africa and in, within several of the countries. I believe that film, Heart of Africa, filmed in the De- uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, but but certainly maybe some similarities between that and Sierra Leone. So yeah, th- thoughts. It, I don't know. It seems vacant, right, to say thoughts and prayers, but but genuinely thoughts and prayers with the absolutely. I think it's vacant. I think it's only vacant if you just say it and then it moves on. You move on and there's yeah. nothing else behind yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Um, other things. I mean, obviously, church is different. Uh, we talked about yep. that kind of in our opening exercises. It is closed till further notice, as I understand it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's a ghost town over there. So church is in home. You're home now. The buildings are just a shell. Did church you moves? Do they house. have uh, do they have signs on your church house? I have no idea. We didn't stop. I I drove by it last night and I didn't look closely enough to see if there was signs, but yeah, I yeah, imagine I, there should be. I was walking my dog Robert around and uh and sure enough, it is in fact uh there is signs on every single door into our church saying, "Hey, you know what? Not happening until further notice." So, I thought that was kind of interesting. I think I think all my stories have co- our COVID nineteen stories today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so we can we can blow through them pretty quick. Um, I know that uh, Temple Square is now closed. Mm-hmm. They they were allowing people to go through for a little while, but now it is in fact closed. Um, the conference center, which is just north, uh, is also uh, closed down as With well. With that, there are some restrictions on the temple. Temple Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. So like the music and the spoken word will not be open to the public, but they will be broadcasting. Oh, um, cool. But their spring chorale concert, orchestra concert, and their Handel's Messiah, it's all canceled. What they're going to do with the Handel's Messiah is replay last year's, hmm. uh, 2018, sorry, the 2018 Messiah concert. Okay. So that is still going to be broadcast. It just will not be, um, uh, they, will, no, they won't be performing or they'll be like it. i swear i remember them doing oh they yep it's a replay i got it and of course all their their bells rehearsals weekly choir rehearsals they're all suspended and closed and not open to the public even if they are so yeah so the tabernacle choir at temple square is is 
not being shut down completely. And I wonder how that, you know, they're going to move ahead as if that's going to stay this way, but they are still rehearsing, just not um, performing. But, but, I wonder clo- if that but close to it, but close to any visitors. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also, I thought it was interesting too. the church uh, closed down the temples in Utah. Now, I don't know that it's full church wide yet, but I know the temples in the state of Utah, um, maybe uh, all temples, but you can only go to the temple for living ordinances. So if you're trying and to by do, appointment only. Yeah. And, yeah. And within that only by appointment. So. So if you aren't getting your own endowments out, or maybe I suppose like, you know, if your kid was going on a mission and you're going to go with, or your kid is getting married and they're going to go through the temple right beforehand, I think that that would probably be permissible. But if you've just got names and you want to get to the temple, even by appointment only, you can't do that. It's it's living only, so nothing for the dead right now. San Antonio is the same way, so I I imagine everyone in the United States. Is, well, and I just and I guessing. just read this. Uh, I just read a little further into it. It is every temple is by appointment only and for living ordinances only. Okay. So, obviously, general conference um, closed, but they have not, as to my knowledge, uh, made an announcement because there are those. I think there was a multicultural choir that was going to perform the Saturday night, which is essentially the open session for this general conference. Normally it's a women's session or the priesthood session, but it was going to be anyone and all. uh, And they were going to have a multicultural choir from the Salt Lake and metropolitan area. Um, I don't know that they're still rehearsing and if they'll be performing, they have not spoken to that general conference will in fact still go on. um, And they're, they are doing something from um, Palmyra. I wonder if they're going to be in it, not all together in the same venue i i would imagine they're going to try to lump the general authorities into smaller groups just sure. because i mean the general authorities are the ones that are mostly at risk right Right. i mean when yeah. you think about who's in that category yeah i i so i know for sure though because one of the one of my uh the writers for my day job she is has been employed to go out to palmyra to help with whatever's going on there plus hotels and all that stuff is done uh, or is filled up. So I would imagine we'll see something from there, obviously something from Salt Lake and maybe something from places like Kirtland. I think having apostles dot the earth would be cool, but pretty mm-hmm. difficult when you consider, you know, what what's going on with everything with Corona. I guess where the church has its own plane and can, you know, be very specific as to who's able to fly and who's able to be on it. I guess they could be safe as far as that goes or car, I guess. Yeah. There's nothing. Driving cars. The road trips with apostles sounds like a cool YouTube video. And, you know, some of the general authorities are already spread throughout the earth. Yeah. So maybe they could take, maybe take advantage of that. I I think it's interesting. um, First of all, that, you know, president Nelson made sure to make a comment about general conference in his, his uh, address last night. So he, you know, it's, it's coming. It's still coming. It's still going to be here. I, I kind of wonder if he actually, when he said last October that this would be a general conference that we, unlike any other, I wonder if he knew what, to the extent of what that meant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he said that, you know. Well, and some people were like, yeah, of course, he's a prophet. He sees the future. And other well, people are like, nah, was that what he was talking about? Or is it coincidental? Or does it matter? Does it matter which way? I don't think it matters. I truly think that he knew that there was something different about this. And they planned for it that way. I, 
I, I think that just like anyone else, I think he's going to be surprised too. The Lord's the Lord's hand is in all this. So. Yeah. What other stuff do you have Corona wise? Well, I, I just, just more of the same stuff. It, all the um, LDS church downtown, the Salt Lake city restaurants and there and more temples worldwide have closed. Um, and then uh, BYU, did, did you read this one? The, the faculty quarantine was quarantined at BYU Jerusalem after visit. Uh, the visiting regions where tourists had COVID-19. So they were all in contact with COVID-19. So they had to quarantine all the faculty members at BYU Jerusalem. So oh that's gosh. happened as well. So um, that was in the Deseret News this morning. And um, I know yeah. and I know a lot of missionaries have had to come home. Some come, came home early. Some are coming home and, and being reassigned uh, places. Our own uh, Robin Stocks. Uh, who does our daily Facebook pay, uh, post, uh, uh -huh. daily post on the Facebook. She, she posted this morning about what well, she, she was on a cruise ship. That's where her job was. And so they had to cancel that. So she's coming home and she was blessed to see all these senior missionaries being sent home from Europe as she was coming back to Salt Lake as well. Mm -hmm. And was able to interact with them. And, uh, and it, it's, it, I'm sure, I wonder how many stories like that exist where, people from all over the world are like traveling and on mass back to Salt Lake city or back to the States somewhere. And they able to interact with other missionaries just because they're all flocking home right now. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. And I, I, and I'm sure the people are getting plenty of it elsewhere. So that's just sort of how it's impacting, um, you know, us, you and I, uh, those that are around us, but certainly just members of the church. Like this is, this is what's happening. Um, make sure that you take care of yourselves. You know, you can't help other people if you're not helping yourself, right? You have to be healthy in order to be able to help other people. Think about when everything starts to uh, break away and we start coming out of this about really being able to help those people that for however long this ends up being aren't able to work, aren't able to make their money, aren't able to, you know, to do any of that stuff and, and keeping a, a mindful, uh, a, a watchful eye and a mindful ear or whatever. I don't know what that phrase is, but really paying attention, making sure that we help other people out. This is the beginning of it. And we'll certainly feel the health impacts of it now, but this will, this will impact uh, our lives in lots of ways, probably some that we don't even know. Some people have uh, mentioned that it will likely affect on some level, the presidential election here in the United States. That the it, economy it, is likely it, to take a hit. Yep, significant. And, and even just earlier, you know that they're they're the Feds are making it a zero to zero point two five interest rate. So we'll see some stuff with that, but we'll also you know, no one really knows. We do our best, and then hopefully we can we can make a call or send a text message to other people to help them, whether whether or not we're actually doing anything for them. Or just connecting with them and letting them know that, you know, hey, they're cared about. Hey, you're loved. Hey, I just wanted to see how you are. Hey, do you have everything you need? But then also, if they need something and you have it, help your neighbor or your friend or your ministering family out. I feel like... Uh, I, think, I think there's a, a balance between, um, you know, preparing and taking care of it and then hoarding all the toilet paper. Yeah. And I'm just using that as a metaphor, obviously. Sure, sure. Um, but but where you're, you can go well beyond taking care of yourself to the point that you're actually making it uh, someone else incapable of taking care of them. Yeah. To where you're hurting, to where you're hurting yeah. someone else. Absolutely. So I think we need to be thoughtful and careful about that. Yep. Um, 
And I, I think, I think there's other littler ways that you can take, I, we went, so one of our, um, we had already done our food shopping. We had pl- early this week, I was concerned about, I, we went and did all of our food shopping. Um, in fact, just after we had our, our, our last articles and news recorded, I, I'm like, Hey, we need to go out and, and go shopping. And we did that. And so we were all done with that. And then we started thinking about a few little peripheral things we could do. And so Friday, without thinking, we decided to go to Sam's Club. Mm. And the first, the first um, thing I should have uh, noticed was that you couldn't get a shopping cart. I had to like follow people around until they dumped their shopping cart. And right. Back. And as I went up to the front, I realized there's a lot of people up there waiting for shopping carts and, and very concerned. So I went around and grabbed a few and so they could get them because there was a, a lady who you, she really was would have had a hard time running around trying to. Um, get a shopping cart off of someone. Right. And um, and I thought about be thoughtful and careful about those who are you're shopping with and those who you interact with, because there might be someone that that lady, I doubt she could walk very far. So she was probably going to use the shopping cart as part as a partly as a walker. Mm-hmm. And I thought we need to be thoughtful and careful and not just worry about ourselves. Yep. And so as I was walking around Sam's, I was trying to find you know, make sure I was aware of that. And I, I, I've wanted to consider, keep that in my mind as I move through the next weeks um, that I, I need to look out for myself a little bit and ministering to all takes that um, helps me put my mind in my, put that in my mindset. The idea that I need to treat people the way Christ would treat them. How yep. would he treat them if he were standing there doing the same things I am? Yep. So, yep. Well, Andrew, I think that's it. Unless you're something we're missing. Nope. I appreciate your time. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Cough into your elbow. All right. So if you saw this, uh, this is another news article that caught my attention this week. Uh, the headline, and I'll read this and, uh, and, and then we'll talk quite a bit about it, is ex-Mormon University associate dean comes out as a lesbian and bashes Brigham Young honor code as dumpster fire. So they'd got me to click, which I know was their intent, uh, and that click led us to Allison Belknap, who is on the phone with me right now. Uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, you bet. Happy so, to be here. So let's uh, unpack a few things. Um, one, you used to be the associate dean at BYU, Provo. So I was an assistant dean. Oh, assistant at, dean. At, yeah, at the J. Reuben Clark Law School, which is part of BYU. Okay. Uh, so to un- unpack your story a little bit more than that, you are a lesbian. Correct. But that headline leads me to believe that with this change in the honor code recently, that that's the time that you came out, and that's not accurate. No, that's not that's not accurate. I came out to my family soon before leaving BYU and more public publicly soon after leaving BYU. So give me a timeline on that. What are we looking at? Uh, we're looking at... Um, well, I had, so I had multiple suicide attempts December, just around Christmas of 2016. Mm. Um, I left BYU in, at the end of August of 2017. So, um, just a really pretty short time frame between the time that I've come out and now a couple so, of years. So let's, let's back it up even before that then. Um, I would assume in the discussions that I've had with other, um, gay or or uh, lesbian folks that they sort of knew early on that they were either gay or lesbian was that the case for you yes i so i mean this is a difficult thing to kind of discuss because when i was a kid there wasn't a much of a framework to talk about being gay or lesbian mm-hmm. 
So I would say I knew with confidence when I was about 12, maybe a little younger than that, that there was something significantly different about me. I felt like it was something significantly wrong with me. And I can look back now and say, that's really the time I knew, but we didn't have the language, you know, having been raised in the church and in my generation, I I had no language to put to what that difference was. So I knew that I was different. And after I got married, I got married when I was 19 years old. And after I got married, I would even say to people, God put my husband in my pathway at just the right moment. Otherwise, I'd be out being a lesbian actress. Mm. And, I, and even then, it was, I still had this cognitive dissonance and couldn't quite figure out that that label was actually what my difference was. So I want to uh, pick up a piece or two along with that. So you, you mentioned 12, and then you got married at 19. It, at what years are we looking at when we look at well, I was born in 1973. Okay, so so <laughs> mid eight, so mid 80s. Yeah, so we're yeah we're talking middle mid 80s, and the most I'd heard about gays or lesbians that I can recall from my childhood was a song that some girls sang in the bathroom when I was maybe in fifth grade. Mm. That um, you know was like a sing songy kind of making fun of lesbians song, and that's the most that's the most I really knew about it. And then there was in my mind as I look back in my history, I'm like then there was the AIDS scare, but it was all still very distant. It was not part of my frame of reference or part of my existence. And all that we were ever taught by the church was, it's bad, it's a choice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so even to the, to, to the extent I did have consciousness that that was what my difference was, in my mind, I was like, well, it's a choice, and I'm going to choose to do the right thing and, and not be gay. Right, right. Right. Well, and it's also sort of in the height of miracle of forgiveness, I want to say, is right around that time in, in, oh the, in the mid yeah. to late 80s, right? Absolutely. The height of miracle of forgiveness, which that book, man, the trauma that that book caused is unbelievable. But yeah, so, 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 absolutely. So you walk the road that you feel like uh, you need to, right? You have these feelings, these differences, but you get married and, and the claim is, man, my husband saved me. And you guys have a, a slew of kids. Yeah, we've got five kids. That's that's pretty average in, in Utah County. <laughs> we were just hitting the averages, right? Yeah, I'm uh, not I'm not coming at you. I'm I'm a I'm a father <laughs> of one. So anytime yeah. I hear anyone doing more than one kid, I'm like, how 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 do people do that? How yeah. does that even happen? No, it's tough. And and I, honestly, I was not. I've never seen myself as a, a mother type. It was t- it was really hard for me because. There were so many ways in which I felt I was different from the type of woman that was supposed to be in the church. I did not feel that I was a nurturer. Hmm. So how someone ends, like me ends up with five kids is, I think, you know, as they come, your heart opens. You love them. You see the wonderfulness that they are. And I had um, some really significant dreams and spiritual experiences that encouraged me to continue to, you know, invite children to our home. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, that's how that happens. Right. But all the while, uh, alongside that is this feeling like, you know, maybe this isn't the way that, uh, that this should be, or I'm attracted to women at the very, at the very base of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and there were, there were lots of um, there was a time when I, when uh, online pornography, for example, was pretty a pretty new thing, and I thought, I wonder what it's like to even look that up. And I looked it up, and I found absolutely no appeal until I started looking at lesbian pornography, mm. 
And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with me? I mean, that's just right. the immediate thing. And I immediately go and talk to my bishop. I immediately talk to my husband and, and, and don't take the time to say, <laughs> maybe you should think about this a little because, you know, you're still in that mindset. Like, all of this is a choice. All of it is a choice. I can choose to, to do the right thing. But in doing that, you're tamping down. In my case, I was tamping down my authentic, my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And it just leads to depression, anxiety, feelings of worthlessness, because it is a significant difference. This is not just about hypersexuality. It is a difference in how you interact in the world and who you are and who your people are and who your tribe is. And, and all of those things matter. But if you're not in that population and you haven't had that experience, it's so easy to write off because you're like, I don't get it. It doesn't matter. Mm. But I'm here to say it absolutely matters. I mean, it, it matters to such a large degree it's difficult to articulate. Right. And to, to jump kind of into to the timeline of your story again, I mean, so much to the point that you're, you're surrounded by this family that you've created, five kids. And then you work at BYU, the height of, like, a, yeah. of institutions that w- would tell you to not act on those choices. Absolutely. And, and let me tell you a little bit how I ended up there. I was practicing law, and my depression was just increasing and getting worse and worse and worse. And in the practice of, of law, you're, you're billing hours. It's a tough profession in terms of just your time commitment is mm-hmm. enormous. And I thought uh, when I got a call and an invitation to come be an assistant dean at BYU Law School, I thought this will give me some time to try and sort through some things and see if I can get better because, you know, I was driving, I was commuting to Salt Lake at the time, and every day when I would drive home, I'd be looking for, you know, the place that was the perfect spot to wreck my car where it would be fatal but not hurt anybody else and Mm. nobody would know I did it on purpose, you know, all of that. And I thought I've got to get a hold of this in some way. So I took the job because it was a little less demanding on time and allowed me actually to get into therapy. I I kind of laughed because one of the university's comments to one of these um, interviews was, hey, we offer all of our full-time staff and faculty have access to therapy. And I was actually in therapy like once a week when my suicide attempts occurred. Mm. So, you know, it allowed me to to go into therapy and start acknowledging some of these things. But as is often the case, um, when you start doing that, things tend to get worse before they get better. And I just had a lot to unpack. I mean, I'd I'd had over four decades of packing away my actual myself, Mm -hmm. my beliefs about myself, and my understanding of how I interact with the world. So it it was a lot to unpack. You know, and speaking of unpacking, I want to move the conversation now to uh, your reaction to the uh, changes in the honor code. If you can, briefly, set the stage uh, if people are unaware of what's been going on at BYU and then why you call it a dumpster fire. (laughs) So in 2007, there was a revision to the Honor Code that that clarified that the, the Honor Code office would not act against folks who expressed that they were homosexual, but that they would enforce homosexual behaviors. And that was problematic in and of itself in a lot of ways because what is a homosexual behavior? If you're talking and laughing too much with someone at lunch, is someone going to report you for for being too friendly with another woman? 
if you're, you know, standing too close to someone in line, if you link arms with someone, if you give someone a hug. So there were some problem, problematic um, things with that because folks who were gay were very afraid of it showing and, and afraid of inadvertently sending some message, you know, that this is homosexual behavior and they're not allowed to date. So if they wanted to have that kind of intimate personal relationship with someone, and I'm not even talking a, a sexually intimate relationship, I just mean the intimate relationship that comes from dating and spending time together, mm-hmm. they have to be really very, very careful about that. And, and so there, was, there were some problems with that. And then in uh, February, uh, I believe it was February 12th, that the policy was officially changed, but the news kind of hit the fan on February 19th. Um, the CES Honor Code removed that section entirely on homosexual behavior. And so students and faculty kind of immediately went to the Honor Code office and said, what does this deletion mean? It, this is now gone. Does that mean we can date? Can we hold hands? Can we express our feelings for one another? And the, the response, as it has been reported from the Honor Code office, was that behavior is no longer prohibited. Mm-hmm. And so there was a huge uh, groundswell of response from the LGBT, well, I I should say LGBTQ probably, um, population at BYU to celebrate that that they felt then that they could have these these relationships and be open about their um, orientation without fear of being reprimanded or suspended or expelled. But, and then, but <laughs> yeah. and I think those of us who are old timers in this system, I mean, when that came out, I, I had a couple of different feelings. One, I was really, I was kind of angry and hurt because I've seen the hurt in my own life and I've seen the pain that my children have gone through. Mm. And to me, I thought you can't, you can't just delete a policy like that with the wave of a pen mm-hmm. without more messaging to the people who have struggled and and suffered for as long as some of us have. So I had a lot of hurt and anger around it in the first place. But the second emotion I felt was like a warning, like, careful, guys, this cannot be what it seems. I did not think there was any way the church was going to just, you know, turn a blind eye to what, what we were seeing in the responses from students. Right. And so then... Um, I believe it was March 4th or 5th that um, this kind of this new CES letter was issued that said, hey, just a clarification, uh, homosexual relationships cannot lead to eternal marriage. And eternal marriage is still what we're aiming for and is still one of the doctrines of the church. Thus, homosexual expression of romance in a homosexual relationship is still in theory against the honor code and still in principle against the honor code. And it was, it was a pretty clear kind of snap of the leash or tamping down on what folks had thought was, uh, you know, a, a permissive, a, a removal that indicated some permission to engage in those types of relationships. So the dumpster fire then obviously just being in the unpreparedness or, or. Yeah. I mean, I think there, like, where was the, there was a lack of communication, right? And it, there had to have been people in, um, you know, the upper administration offices of both organizations, the church and BYU, who had some inkling that removing that language and sending the message that this is no longer enforced might result in some folks thinking, hey, great, we can date and hold hands and that's not going to be a problem. I, I can't imagine that these really very bright, sensitive um, 
lots of allies in those offices, too, did not say, hey, this is going to happen. So a lack of foresight in understanding it was going to happen, and then a lack of um, communication and how it was handled, the messaging initially from the Honor Code office, and then the messaging to kind of snap the leash back and be like, no, 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 it's still not acceptable, and here's why. And I think the message in the, in the letter is a little bit ridiculous because, I, I mean, I can, I can name off right here several instances. A widow who is sealed to a former husband, she may date, mm-hmm. and she's not going to end up in, in an eternal marriage either because women can't be sealed to more than one man. Right. Right. Uh, students of other faith who date and who are not you know, going to be entering the temple, they are not going to enter into an eternal marriage either. Um, most of the dating relationships on campus, quite frankly, don't lead to eternal relationships. So the rationale in the letter it was disappointing, to say the least, um, because arguments against that kind of rationale are just so obvious and plain. And so, you know, I think if you're going to come back, I, I don't know what the ideal would have been, but they should have, the, the change in the honor code should have been accompanied with a message that, in principle, we we still do not support homosexual relationships. Right. Don't give us don't don't tie it to this whole eternal marriage crap. Just say our doctrine prevents us from supporting homosexual relationships. So there will still be enforcement on that, but it's going to be up to the schools how they do it, and it'll be case by case, whatever, right? Right. To give that at the same time at least would have been better. But you know the the chaos that ensued in handing these students this kind of comfort and celebratory moment, and then so quickly coming back like Big Brother and just being like, oh, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You're still bad. I mean, that's, that's the message, is you're still not acceptable. You're still bad. We love you, but no. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's feels, it feels so offensive. I mean, abusive in, in a lot of ways. And anecdotally, there are, you know, other stories that sort of surround this one professor who um, he had very publicly and online said, you know, hey, I interpret this to be that, you know, that these relationships can exist and and is receiving death threats from, you know, various groups uh, to the to the extent that there are also uh, protests, both that have taken place at BYU Provo, that have taken place at church headquarters, that have taken place um, by the Manhattan Temple in New York City. I mean, this uh, this is affecting a lot of people, not just necessarily those students who would wish to have and be able to demonstrate those um, those homosexual relationships, but also those allies who care very much um, for the lives and the hearts of those individuals. That's right. The, the thing that I, I guess I wonder is, yeah, probably handled badly, right? I mean, and that's an un- that's an understatement right. <laughs> uh, comparing to probably handled badly to dumpster fire. But at this point, like what can, if people are listening to this and they really want to, to let those um, that are affected by this know that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they are supported, like, like what do we do? Well, one, I think you let people know that. I think you let people in your life that you are aware of that are in this group of folks, that you let them know that you love them and you care about them and that you support them. I think that's, that's part A. Um, I think part B is those of us who are supportive and um, who are in a position to take to have the courage to do it, I think we have to start being more vocal. I think we have to start being more vocal about, you know, it's fine. 
the, the church certainly has um, its has the the right to define what the what the religious beliefs are for those who um, subscribe to the church's beliefs and the mm-hmm. church's doctrine. Mm-hmm. But I think it's becoming um, more of a civil rights issue as we understand more and more about what this is, and as we move away from the old, you know, in really indoctrinated belief that this was a choice for individuals. And, and we need to start saying, how do we support folks in having relationships that are going to be meaningful over their lives? Even if, you know, right now the line is drawn at, they, you know, you can have a, a marriage between two women or two men, but you can't be sealed in the temple. I mean, the church is just going to have to look really carefully at this and mm-hmm. see, way, see ways that they can support folks who are attracted to members of the same gender. And, and I think those who are supportive are going to have to be vocal about their support. I don't think we can stay quiet anymore. I mean, that's, that's why I'm speaking out. And, and this is, you know, I, I'm not speaking at, at no cost to myself or my family, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have family members who are still very tied to uh, the Provo community, and I have children. And so, and this is very visible and makes them more visible than they want to be. But I think we have to have the courage to start standing up and saying, we don't want to lose any more lives, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This is not worth losing lives over. We could certainly say, you know, this is not something that's going to matter to us in terms of how much we love and care for individuals and how much we value life. To those, those that may be listening to this and, um, and be really frustrated and, and be angry, and all all of the emotions that would come with this hurt and sad and all those things, but would maybe not know how to deal with it and certainly not know how to deal with it in a healthy way. What do you recommend? Um, I'd say get to some therapy as as soon as you can. And if you don't find a good therapist on your first try, try another one. Um, also, the Utah Pride Center has um, lots of support, and they they have, for example, the only. LGBTQ um, survivors of suicide attempt groups in the country. Mm. And so I would reach out to organizations like the Pride Center, like Encircle, where even if you don't have resources, you can get in with a therapist and talk to someone. If you feel like a therapist is too big of a step, then reach out to someone you love and trust. The, the difficult piece of this depression and, and suicidality is that your mind convinces you you're safer if you isolate and that no one wants to hear from you, and it's better if you isolate yourself. And that road just leads to feeling like it's better if everyone you love doesn't have you in your life anymore because you're such a, tr- a problem. And it's just, it's just not true. You may have parents or grandparents or spouses who respond in a negative way, but there are people out there. I mean, call me at a last resort. <laughs> call me for crying out loud. I have been in the pit of despair where it seems like there is absolutely no hope and there is no light and nothing's ever going to be- get better. And I will crawl back down there with you and I will help you find a path out. Call someone. Don't stay in that isolated place alone. You don't have to. There are people who will help. Allison Belknap, um, thank you so much for not only sharing your story, but for your uh, way of being able to, to share love that maybe some of us don't know how or are learning how or, you know, just don't, that we just don't do it that way, that you're able to, to be a voice. And the more that I learn about you and, and your story and certainly in, in, in your 
allyship is that a is that a word your alliance <laughs> you bet uh you bet. so grateful that that you are around still and that you well, are you. you are able to be with us and and to be able to to share your story um if people did uh want to reach out to you in a way that's manageable for you how could they do that um i'm i am public on facebook and on twitter it's allison phillips belknap so allison with two l's phillips like the gas station Belknap is B as in boy, E-L-N as in Nancy, A-P as in Peter. Thank you so much for being with us. Great. Thank you so much. All right. So this next story, we have talked a little bit about it, and we have kind of highlighted some of of the information as it's come out, uh, certainly here in the cultural hall. But we want to bring someone in who I would imagine he would say his life was sort of absorbed in it. His name is Nate Eaton, and he is a reporter for East Idaho News. Dot com is where you can read all the stuff that he's writing. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. I know that our time is limited, but I was hoping rather than me kind of fumbling through telling the, the chronological story of Chad and Lori Daybell, um, that you could kind of give us like where this all kind of started and where we're at today, and then also what the next few steps are within this case. I know that's asking a lot, but I'll give you complete mic time and then just ask to pick up questions as we kind of move along. Sure. Well, this is such a complicated case that involves so many different parties. You know, you can't really do this story in an elevator pitch, but I guess it all revolves around two missing kids, JJ and Tylee. Uh, They moved to Rexburg, Idaho with their mother late last year in the fall. And uh, around Christmas time, the Rexburg Police Department sent out an alert that these kids were missing and that they had not been seen for some time. The last time Tylee was seen was September 8th in Yellowstone, and her little brother, who's seven and has autism, was last seen at an elementary school in Rexburg around September 23rd. So they send out this alert that these kids are missing, and the very next day, they send out a follow-up alert saying that their parents, their mother, Lori Vallow Daybell, is a person of interest in their disappearance, and her new husband, Chad Daybell, is also a person of interest, and that they are no longer in Idaho. So we start putting things together and we find out that Lori's previous husband, Charles, was shot and killed by her brother last summer in Arizona. And uh, the brother said that he shot and killed this this, uh, man out of self-defense. Well, a few months later in December, this brother who pulled the trigger died at his home in Arizona uh, under suspicious circumstances. So you have those two deaths associated with Lori. Her, her new husband, Chad, her fifth husband from Rexburg, Idaho, is married to a woman named Tammy, and she dies in her sleep uh, late last year. And um, actually, she died in October. But late last year in December, police exhumed her body. They originally thought she died of natural uh, circumstances. But when all of this came out, they went and exhumed her body to figure out if maybe something more sinister had happened. So right now, we're waiting on the autopsies for... Tammy Daybell, whose former husband is now married to Lori Vallow, whose two kids are missing, who has had a husband die within the past year, shot and killed by her brother, whose death is also being investigated. And then we so that, add, that, and then we add on top of that, though, that there was uh, a flee to Hawaii and, and all sort of religious sort of maybe extremism. Those can be my words, so they don't have to be yours into the mix. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, the a proper way to say it. The the parents were located in Hawaii. We actually tracked them down at the end of January. Uh, they were there on a beach at a resort. She has since been arrested and charged with uh, some felonies for deserting her children. Uh, religious thoughts, religious beliefs play into this story. They're they're also at the core of all of this. Chad Daybell has written, I believe, over twenty books about the end of times, the second coming. Um, his near-death and life-after-death experiences. Lori was obsessed with this topic. She, uh, in court documents filed a year ago by her husband, who's now dead, she said, I'm, I'm worried for my kid's safety because Lori was saying that she believes she's one of the 144,000 who will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that the world will end this July, that she's been married by the prophet Moroni, that she has uh, been... Uh, transfigured, or I guess transformed, or or basically reincarnated uh, with with different parts of her life. So th- their beliefs are are such you could call it the fringe of the fringe. You know, they were going to church, they mm-hmm. acted in their ward. In fact, in Hawaii, after we found them the next week, they showed up at at the church house, the local LDS ward, and many members were saying, "Well, what are they doing here? Snapping photos, sending them to us, saying that they were." living their life as if everything was normal. So uh, I, I would say that you could say that's part of one of the major parts of the, of the beliefs behind all of, all of what's happening here, uh, their, their religious beliefs. Now, when you say we found them, uh, is that to assume that the folks, yourself included with the East Idaho News, are sort of driving this story and in part with the investigation, or are you saying we as a collective we? Well, we knew East Idaho News, we knew within a couple of days after we posted this story that they were in Hawaii, or, or at least we figured they were. We had a few tipsters messaging us because, you know, we're, we're Eastern Idaho is a small community. We, we have a lot of people that go to our news website every day. And so we were getting tips all the time about, hey, you should check this out. They're in Hawaii. So we went to the authorities, actually, at the beginning of January and said, we think they're in Hawaii. We want to go over and try to talk to them and try to interview them. And the police asked us if we could hold off. They didn't want to uh, jeopardize the investigation, and we certainly didn't. And they also didn't want to spook them. So they said, if you can hold off, we'll, we'll kind of work with you. So it's kind of a cooperative thing where a few weeks later I get a call out of the blue on a Thursday, and they say, uh, you're going to want to book a ticket to Hawaii. And I said, for, for when? And they said, tomorrow. <laughs> and we, we went to Hawaii. Uh, my colleague and I, we didn't know what was going to happen. We had no idea what was going to happen. We get to Hawaii, and... It was a Sunday afternoon, and I get a call from one of the detectives, and he says, uh, you need to be ready because things are about to go down. Hmm. And so we meet up, we meet them at this beach resort within five or ten minutes, and we see there Chad and Lori, the, the, one of the most wanted couples in America at that point, uh, who have two missing kids who clearly were not with them there in Hawaii. And the police told us at that point, we're going to seize their vehicle and we're going to go search their house, but they're not being arrested. And so, you know, I said, well, does that, that means I can go talk to them. They said, you can do whatever you want. And we knew without a vehicle, they couldn't, they couldn't go far. So we just approached them with a camera and started asking them where their kids were. And for three minutes, they didn't answer any questions. And, and they darted into a resort there. And it, it was kind of a, of a couple of weeks there of what's going to happen next. But they finally did come out with the arrest warrant for Lori. And she was booked. And just last week, yeah, about a week ago, brought back to Idaho. So... You get the opportunity to ask them questions and they don't answer any. What statements have they made since uh, being arrested and, and since her being brought back to Idaho? 
Well, she did answer my one question when I said people around the world are praying for you and they're praying for your children. She said, that's great. That's the only thing she said. Mm -hmm. They've said very little other than Chad did tell a reporter, I believe from ABC News in Hawaii. He said the kids are safe. That that that's kind of a, a loaded answer because some could say they're safe meaning with God like are are they dead right. or they're safe with somebody here on earth uh, he didn't elaborate and he has not elaborated since as far as we know uh we do know a few people who have been in communication with with Chad and and he's he's been very polite he's he's actually a, a pretty nice guy from 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 what we understand and he he says that all of this is media hype that once all of the answers come out, it will be like a deflated balloon. Hmm. Uh, but yet we still don't have that. Yuri has not spoken to um, any media. I imagine she's speaking with Chad and her attorneys. Uh, one of the most interesting aspects of this case, well, there's so many, <laughs> yeah. for her initial court appearance last Friday and walked in wearing bright red lipstick. Hmm. And and had, she had on makeup, and everyone was a little surprised by that. That here here she is with these missing kids, and and from what we understand, her beliefs are such that she believes that, that she is called of God. She's a prophetess. She's a goddess. That that she is doing God's will, and that maybe because she's suffering so much, she you know she's in prison. Prophets have gone to prison. You know the elect face persecution. That this is more more of a of a reason for her to do what she uh what she is doing yeah essentially an idea that um you know that those that are called are then qualified and that are are buoyed up by god or by those whom called them right yeah exactly and you know you hear all the time that that you know from leaders of the church that life is not easy that it, it was never meant to be easy and that you persecution and and whatnot can um you know, if you're facing persecution, you're in good company, I guess you could say, with, with some of the prophets. Obviously not to this level. This is a whole new level. But if, if Lori truly believes these things, that, that you know, I, I am called of God, I am a prophetess, that she can do no wrong, then, then she may see this all as part of the plan. You know, you, you talk about so many different uh, interesting aspects of this case, um, from the brother to the ex-spouses. I think the the easy thing to do is to kind of get caught up in all that. But as you reframed it from the beginning, like the most important thing is where are these kids and are they okay? Um, so now we sit a, a, about a week or so since her court appearance. Like what what is what is next? You mentioned uh, some autopsies coming back, or where do you see to be the next um, shoot a drop in this? Yeah, the autopsies will be critical when they come back on, the, on her brother and Tammy Daybell, and those could be any day now. We also know that law enforcement agencies from Arizona and Idaho and Utah and Hawaii and the FBI had a big two-day powwow this week in Salt Lake City to discuss this case, and I think they're all kind of trying to get on the same page to figure out what the next steps are. There is a hearing today in in Madison County, her attorney has asked that the judge be disqualified. So I think there's going to be a lot of legal back and forth, kind of the the uh, minutia of these court hearings where they want a judge thrown out or certain evidence back and forth. The big the big thing for Lori will be at her next hearing in May. It's a two day what's called a preliminary hearing, and this is where the prosecutors have to go and basically present all of their evidence to prove 
that she has committed a felony. And they will go through step by step to tell the judge, yes, she deserted her children by doing this and this and this, and they will call witnesses. And then her attorneys will try to poke clues in their arguments. But once the judge decides at that point, yes, she did commit the crime, then it advances to a higher court and it will go to a jury trial. The, the other option, though, is that by then, maybe they will have stronger charges that they'll, they'll hand down to her and possibly Chad, and, and these may be just some charges to hold her. Uh, it, it's a case, though, that, that has so many twists and turns, and you know, a week from now we could be looking back at this conversation and saying, oh, that was so dated because so much has happened. Mm-hmm. And I know there also was the national call-out for anyone who was at Yellowstone on a particular day. Maybe worth mentioning if people are listening to this and thinking, yeah, I went to Yellowstone. What was that all about? Yeah, that was interesting because the FBI has not really said much about this case other than they're assisting Rexburg police in Arizona. But about a week ago, they came out with an official release saying anyone that visited Yellowstone National Park on September 8th, they're asking those people to go through their phones, their iPads, whatever digital devices they have, cameras to see if they have any footage or any photos of Tylee or JJ, the little kids, or their uncle who was with them, or their mother, Lori, also their uncle's pickup truck, a silver pickup truck. They actually attached some photos of what they all looked like that day, meaning somebody has sent in these photos already, and we know that they've captured them on surveillance cameras there at the park. So they, uh, the FBI is... is focusing on that particular day and Yellowstone National Park. Otherwise, they would not have sent this out. And they've actually set up a a special website. If you were there in or around those days, they want you to go through all of your devices and see, oh, yeah, even if it's a large group photo in front of Old Faithful and there might be some people in the background that look like this family, they want to see them. And and we have a link to that on eastidahonews.com where you could submit that to the FBI's website. Are there particular parts of this case Um, that aren't being talked about, that have either caught your eye or caught your ear or um, that that are worth discussing? You know, I think one of the challenging parts about reporting this is is the religious aspect, because there are a lot of, of, you know, these guys are are Latter-day Saints, but but you could argue that their beliefs are not mainstream Latter-day Saint beliefs or Mm -hmm. doctrines. Mm -hmm. And some in the national media call it a cult or, or an extreme group. And, and based on some of the teachings and some of the beliefs, yeah, you could, you could fit that in there. But there are other people that, that are part of these websites and these groups and these podcasts where they talk about certain things and, and time to warrior up, which aren't necessarily extreme or bad, but, but I guess they're not normal. So, so there's, there's this level of religious... Uh, I guess a, a spectrum of religious beliefs and scales, and some would say that they're far extreme, but they don't see themselves as extreme. Right. They don't see themselves as being out there. They go to church every week, and they take the sacrament and hold callings, but others would. So I think, try, especially the national media, they're trying to figure out, well, are they, are they Latter-day Saints, or what is this? Is this a cult? Are they the leaders? That aspect we're still, we're still trying to figure out. I think Chad did have a following. He did speak at these preparing a people events, the, the, the group that has now distanced themselves from him. Uh, but he wrote several books. He was a book publisher. And, you know, anybody can write a book, but what happens with those books? So that, that's that been kind of a confusing, uh, sticky situation to cover. The other stuff is nuts and bolts, crime, you know, 
here's what happened, here's what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then there, there seems to be new stuff that, that trickles out every day with surveillance footage and, and who was seen with whom where. And I think, you know, I've had several law enforcement officers tell me that we only know about a tenth of what they know, right. and that it's only going to get more bizarre when all of this comes out. I think it'll be, if you if you were to write a movie for Hollywood and submit it to them, they would say, this this isn't believable. You need to tame it down. Yeah. Uh, whereas normally, you, you you know, you need to spice it up a little, not, not with this case. You know, and, and it's interesting from, uh, you talk about from the media perspective, right? Like, are they members of the church, of the mainstream uh, LDS church, or are they part of a fringe group, or are these kind of things attached? But members of the church are sort of having this this odd sort of feeling as well. I've seen in many online forums where um, th- these stories get shared, and most of the time these are stories that are being produced by you folks up at eastidahonews.com uh, and written by you specifically, where people are like, no, that's, those aren't members of my church, or they want to put that distance saying, oh, well, they don't go, or, you know, th- they aren't active, or they couldn't possibly be the same thing that I am because— I would never do something like that. So it's been interesting to see the pushback from people within the church to say, no, 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 hang on. Don't, don't tell me I'm the same as that. I'm not. Absolutely. That, exactly. And we talked with a historian, uh, Richard Bushman, at the Utah State University, who, who said one of the best ways to describe it is maybe a church within a church. Hmm. They are members of the church, but they're their own little group that has obviously— you know, taking it to the extreme. Now, I'm not saying members that follow them or read their books or whatever would take it to the extreme of missing kids. And I want to be clear, Chad has not been charged with anything. And Lori, as of now, it's just deserting her children. There's no, you know, manslaughter or murder charges, nothing like that at this point. Um, So, yeah, at what extreme do you take it? And at what point does the church step in, if any? You know, the the church spokespeople have been very nice to to work with, and they've just said we have no, no comment about this. Have, um, has there has there been any further conversation? I mean, Chad is a, a free man, free to go and, and be and yeah. do. Has there been any conversation with him or comment from him? No, you know, we tried to reach out to him. He has he was at court with his wife. Uh, from what we understand, he's basically under a self imposed house arrest, uh, and I, I'm sure he's gone out. I, I say that because it seems like for weeks there, wherever he and Lori would go someone would snap a photo and send it to our newsroom and say, hey, they're at Costco, or hey, this is where they're at. We haven't seen any of those. They have put up several no trespassing signs around his house. There's a big sign on the door that says, we will not be speaking to the media. Uh, But he did show up at court last week. There was a row behind Lori in the courtroom that was meant for her family, her supporters, and the only people on that row were Chad and Chad's attorney. Hmm. So he, he is you know, supporting her, and we understand that they're having conversations. He's not allowed to physically visit her in the jail, but they only allow clergy and attorneys in. But he is able to video conference with her, so we know that they're video conferencing every day. And, and he was working to, to post her bail. The bail was set at $1 million. The issue that they're finding there is that a lot of bail bondsmen don't want to touch this case. They sure. don't want the publicity. They think she's a flight risk. They think that, um, you know, if they if they do post that and she takes off, they've got to come up with the million and track her down. So, mm-hmm. you know, we thought she'd be out on bail at this point, but but she's still in there. Yeah. Uh, just to, to highlight again, a couple of things that you say we're looking forward to, the autopsies, which could come at any time, 
another day in court that is that is forthcoming. And then obviously any evidence that would come out from the police department, whether it be the Idaho Police Department, the Arizona, the Utah, the Hawaii. I mean, this this case is widespread. Is there anything else that as we look to things that that may be coming up that we haven't discussed that you feel like, man, we in order to get a full picture of this case that we should mention at this time? No, I think that the the most important thing, in, like we like we talking, there's so much here. There's there's dead spouses. There's there's you know religious beliefs. There's life insurance policies that are in the millions of dollars. There's different states, but I think that the center key point is the fact that there's still these two missing children, and there have been no sightings of them anywhere. Yeah, none. There's well, I, I shouldn't say there's been reported sightings, but none have been valid. It's yeah. not like they've been able to get any strong tips that say, we believe they were there. And the last the police have actually spoken about these kids was in December. And that tells you something, because normally if they, they think they're alive or they think that there's tips as to where they could be, they will come out and say stuff. But, but they have not done so. So mm. it's the fact that these, these kids have, have still been missing. And, and hopefully, you know, this, this could all, a big portion of this could be solved if the mother just simply said where they were. Right. And it's not really a hard question to, to answer, but she has not done that. Well, you have definitely caught those who are completely unaware of this case. You have certainly caught them up. It is a thing that you can spend countless hours, and some of us have, yeah. if you go to eastidahonews.com and follow uh, the great reporting by Nate Eaton and also his colleagues. Uh, I hope that as things develop and, and we get more information, um, I can get you to come back and, and to give us an update on those things in the future. Yeah, not a problem. I'd be happy to. Great. I promise there won't be a delay. People that uh, that are unaware of this, uh, Nate and I were supposed to speak much uh, earlier than we actually were able to connect today, but because of a forever meeting, because of the coronavirus, I had to put him off for a little bit. So I appreciate you being so patient, and I know you have to go. So thank you very much for uh, for all this information. Great. Thanks for having me. Take care. You bet. You too. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Culture Hall show.